Hey, good morning, everybody here, everybody joining us online. We're glad you could be here with us today. Um, you ever notice how sometimes when people talk about their kids, they kind of have a tendency to just kind of go on and on about it? Like even quiet people, like myself, I'm, I'm not a real talkative person, which makes my career choice kind of odd, I know. But I, I really don't talk a lot outside of this. But even I can go on and on and on and on when I come to talk about my kids. And we're kind of going to experience that a little bit today because we're talking about family faith. And this sermon has the potential to go on and on and on and on. And so we're going to sacrifice the funny story that we usually start with and kind of the jokey joke stuff. And we're just going to get right down to business because we have a really important topic to talk about today. We're continuing this series called At Our Core. And this series is all about the core values of this church, what makes our hearts beat a little bit faster, and what guides our priorities and our decision-making as far as ministry and, and activities and things go. And today we're talking about a core value that is very dear to my heart, as it's probably dear to a lot of your hearts. We're talking about family faith. And when we talk about family faith, what we really mean is that we believe in partnering with parents to equip the next generation with a faith that lasts. And the key word in there is partnering with parents. We really don't have the desire to raise anybody's children, and we really don't even have the desire to be the primary faith influence in the lives of children. We don't believe that that's our role, and we don't believe that that's really how God has organized things to, to play out in this thing that we call faith. And we're gonna see that this morning when we look at our passage in the book of Deuteronomy chapter six. If you have your Bibles with you, I would highly, highly encourage you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter six with us this morning. If you don't have your Bibles, be sure to follow along on the screens to the side or download the FCC Monmouth app on your mobile device and click the Sunday button where you're gonna find sermon notes with our passage pulled up. There's a lot of it and we're gonna really get into it, so I would encourage you to follow along and make some notes for yourself in here. Now the passage that we're looking at this morning, Deuteronomy 6, is an incredibly significant passage. It's been recited and memorized by millions and millions of Jewish people throughout centuries, and it's kind of the John 3.16 of the Old Testament in some ways. This is a passage that is so, so important in part because of the situation and the context surrounding it. You see, these words were spoken by God through his servant Moses at a time when the Israelites, God's chosen people, were about to cross over the Jordan River into the promised land. God had brought them out of slavery in Egypt. He had supplied and cared for them through the wilderness and now they were about to turn the page and start a whole new chapter in their journey as a people and as a nation. And in this new land, there were a lot of different gods and idols and so on that they could follow and pledge their allegiance to and that would lead them astray. And so it was crucial, and I will say it again, absolutely crucial that these people understood who God really was, what he had done for them, and how to follow him faithfully. Because if they failed at any of those things, their entire nation was gonna go downhill. And really, that's the story of the Old Testament, if you're familiar, is how that nation destroys itself through its lack of faithfulness. This passage is crucial. And that's why I find it so fascinating that at the heart of this incredibly important passage about faith, is a conversation about what we call family faith and, and the insignificance of passing faith on from one generation to the next. Deuteronomy 6 is what we're looking at once again. And as we look at it, there's one idea that becomes very clear right from the get-go. The family is God's plan for passing on faith. It's not the children's ministry. It's not the Sunday morning service. The family is God's plan for passing faith on to the next generation. 
Let's look at verse 1 of Deuteronomy 6. Let's see what it has to say. Right from the get-go, we read, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me, Moses, to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan River to possess, so that you and your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that it may, uh, you may enjoy long life. So just in the first two verses, here's what God says to these people. I want you to be faithful to me and follow my commands, but I also want your children and your grandchildren and the children that come after them even to also be faithful and follow my commands so that they can experience the blessing that comes along with that. So what we see just in the first two verses is that God's hopes and desires for his people, of which we're included, is generations deep. It's not just a hope for you and I's immediate faith, but for our children's faith, our grandchildren's faith, our nieces and our nephews' faith, our little neighbor kids that live next door to us, their faith too. Family faith is a really significant thing for God. Now, what that means for you and I as parents, grandchildren, uh, grandparents, grandchildren, grandparents, uncles, aunts, what that means is that our faith is not just our faith. It is a faith that is meant to be generations deep. It is meant to teach, to instruct, to guide, and to illustrate for these emerging generations what it looks like to be faithful in this world. Our faith is not our own. And it's kind of that way with parenthood in general, isn't it? I mean, you learn pretty quick that when you're a parent, you've got this little person watching you. Your life is not just your life anymore. Your choices, your decisions, all of them have to be aimed at raising up this little person into a big person who is a decent person. I learned this lesson pretty quickly uh, with my boys. Both of them are healthy eaters. They enjoy food. And when my oldest son, Levi, when he was first able to eat stuff from the table, he wanted to eat all of it. Like he wanted to taste everything. This whole new world was opened up to him. And so anytime I sat down for a meal or I got a snack from the pantry or I grabbed something from the fridge, here came Levi. Ah! 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 He just, he wanted my food all the time. I don't think I ate an apple by myself for two years. Like we just ate everything together, but that's okay because it's not about me. It's about this little guy and raising him up to be a big guy who is a decent guy. That's the way it is with parenthood in general. It shouldn't surprise us that faith is the exact same. Our devotional life, our prayer life, our church attendance, all of those ways that we live out and express our personal convictions and faith, that's not just for us. That's for all of these little eyes that are watching and learning and imitating and learning in the future when I grow up, this is how I express my faith as well. This is just the first two verses and already it's pretty clear that family is the plan for passing on faith to emerging generations. So let's keep reading because there's more richness in here. Look at verse three. It says, hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Did you hear that? The God of your ancestors. Meaning those people that came before you in your family that I spoke to, that followed me, that were faithful. Family faith is already accepted and practiced in this people. So here's verse three. This is the Shema. This is that beautiful passage that I was telling you about earlier. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. 
Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates, probably meaning city gates. So God is speaking through Moses. He's telling these people that are about to go into this new land and this new opportunity and this new chapter in their life, I want you to follow my commands, but then I'm gonna spend two-thirds of this also saying, impress these commands on your children. Talk about who I am. Talk about what I've done. Talk about how to live for me. When you walk along the road or when you go home or when you're driving back from a baseball game or you're fishing at the lake or you're watching TV, or you're listening to the radio in the car, find some way to seize the moment and talk to your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, whoever that little person in your life is. And by the way, I say little person, sometimes little persons can be kind of big persons too. Don't think that we're just talking about fifth grade and under. Find some way to talk to these people about who I am. And do it whether you're laying down at night or you're getting up in the morning or any time in between those two things. Wherever the opportunity presents itself, seize the moment and share who I am and what I've done and how to follow me. This is what God instructs his people to do. This is what he instructs us to do, to be a family that shares faith with the next generation. And this doesn't have to be a complicated thing. In fact, most of the time, this happens in really simple ways. My family is a great example of this. People sometimes assume that because I'm a minister, I must have grown up in this really faithful household where people you know, opened up their Bibles every morning and every mealtime. We had family devotions and we had these deep theological discussions that taught me the deeper things of the faith. None of that happened, all right? I grew up in a believing home where we prayed before meals and we prayed before bedtime and we went to church and that was about it. That, that was the extent of our family faith. And yet even through simple actions like that, it impressed faith upon my heart and it cultivated a very rich, rewarding faith. I remember my mom, um, when I was little, she would read from the Precious Moments Story Bible, these Bible stories. I didn't pick it out, because if I had picked it out, it would have been the Ninja Turtles Story Bible, but she picked the Precious Moments one. And I don't remember any of those stories. I remember that the illustrations were not particularly good or interesting, but I don't remember those stories, but we read them and they laid a foundation that somebody else would build on later on. Simple stuff. We prayed before meals and we prayed before bedtime. And a lot of times it was that rote memorized prayer that you rattle off really fast so you can get down to the grub, but we prayed. And even though it, it wasn't maybe the most rich or deep prayer, it was a practice and a foundation that was laid through very simple things. Probably the most impactful thing that my family did, though, is we went to church every single Sunday. And if we missed a Sunday, Grandma Schultz would be on the phone saying, why weren't you guys at church? Who's sick? Who died? Why weren't you there? There's no reason not to be at church. And it used to drive my mom nuts. She would say, can we just not go to church one Sunday? And in Grandma's book, the answer was, no, you can't miss church. But that's something we did, and it made an impression upon me. It's very simple things that laid a foundation and impressed faith upon my heart. And it wasn't just my parents either. Family means family. My grandparents, they were very influential in shaping my faith. My grandma, who I already mentioned, she made, church we were, she made sure we were at church every Sunday. And I would sit next to her in the Schultz family pew, which was the very back pew in the very back corner closest to the door so grandpa could be the first one out. 
And we would sit there every Sunday, and I can't tell you how many pounds of orange Tic Tacs she fed me from her purse, or how many notepads I scribbled through playing tic-tac-toe while the sermon was going on. I didn't pay attention in church for years, but I was there. And I learned that it was important to be there because grandma said so. My grandmother, she bought me what was not my first Bible, but probably the most important Bible for me. She gave it to me my freshman year of high school. I still have that Bible. I went through Bible college with that Bible. I went through seminary with that Bible. I've preached every sermon out of that Bible. And the only reason I use this thing is because I have notes that I have to write down that I can't fit in my Bible. My grandmother was very influential in shaping my faith through simple things. Even my grandpa, who had to be the first one out of the church door, was very influential in shaping me. I always thought that grandpa went to church because grandma made him, and that's why he was the first one there. He would be the first one in the door just to make sure he got that back corner pew seat because he wanted to be out. I thought, well, he doesn't really want to be here. And then grandma died. But grandpa kept going to church every single Sunday. And I didn't know this until after he passed away. But my grandpa didn't finish the sixth grade. He had a farm accident. So he didn't read very well. But he could listen very well. And that's what he did every single Sunday. He sat. He listened. And then to the best of his ability, he tried to do that thing the next week. Simple stuff that made a very deep and lasting impact on my life and shaped me from a very young age for faith. Now, I don't tell you the Schultz family history so that I can just talk about me. I do this because this is a very real example of very real people who did simple things that made a significant impact in somebody's life. Simple things that all of us can do and adapt in our lives if we commit to being a family that passes faith on to the next generation. Now, you may have, mentioned, or may have noticed that there's no mention of children's ministry anywhere in this passage or even in the rest of the Bible if we were to read the whole thing. Now, children's ministry is, is an amazing extension of the church. It does a phenomenal job. We're going to talk about it in a little bit. But the idea that it's the children's ministry's job to impart faith unto my children, frankly, is unbiblical. That's not God's plan. If children's ministry as we know it, as we would recognize it, really didn't get going until the 1970s in the USA. The earliest form of children's ministry that we might say, okay, yeah, I, I kind of recognize that, that didn't start until the 1700s AD over in England. That means that Deuteronomy, the passage we read, it was written in 1500 BC. That means for 3,200 years, God trusted the family to pass faith on to the next generation. 3,200 years God trusted the family to bring his kingdom into this world and to expand the news that Jesus died for our sins. 3,200 years, the family was good enough and got the job done. Now, in the past 300 years, we have children's ministry, but I'm gonna let you know that none of that other stuff has changed. Our families are still called, and our families are still capable, and our families are still trusted by God to bring faith into the hearts and the minds of the next generation because that's how he designed it. Family is the plan for passing on faith to our kids, to our grandkids, to our nieces, to our nephews. Now, that may sound intimidating because it is an important thing. Like This is weighty stuff, but I've got some good news for you. Hopefully, it's going to take some of that weight off your shoulders this morning. Family is the plan for passing faith on to future generations, but family is not God's plan for passing on perfect faith to the next generation. 
Nobody is asking us to raise up the next Billy Graham or Pope Francis or Apostle Paul. Nobody is asking us to have Bible college and seminary level lectures and lessons at our family devotions every night, promptly at 5.30 when we all gather around the table because we don't have busy schedules that keep us apart. Nobody is asking us for these things. What we are called to do is simply to raise up people of faith. And that is far more manageable than any of that other stuff. Now, it's not easy, but it's less intimidating. And Deuteronomy even gives us some direction on some things that we should focus on when we're trying to pass this faith on to the next generation. The first one probably seems obvious, but it might be the most difficult of the the two things we're gonna talk about. Teach our kids who God is and what he has done. Teach them who he is and what he has done. Like I said, that may seem easy, but in this particular day and age, that might be the biggest challenge. And I think the way that we address it, this is gonna sound scandalous, we stop teaching our kids to believe in God. Lowercase g, by the way. There is plenty of opportunity for our kids to be exposed to the concept of God. It's in their television, it's in their literature, it's online. When they talk to people of different hobby groups and interest groups, they talk to people from all over the world of different faiths and backgrounds and and ideologies. There are a lot of people out there that are going to tell our children about the concept of God. And this concept, by the way, is the idea that there is some sort of supernatural being or force in the universe at work that kind of holds things together and wants us to be good people. That's the prevailing faith of this current generation. People are oftentimes worried about atheism. I want my kids to believe in God. I don't want them to be an atheist. Atheists are very loud, sometimes obnoxious, but very loud, but very small in number. It's only about 4% of the population. That's not really the big danger. The danger is this idea that our children will believe in the concept of God, some non-religious spirituality, and have no idea who the God of the Bible actually is or what he has actually done. That's kind of why the Shema exists, this passage that we read. Israelite children were in a very similar boat. They had no trouble believing in the concept of God. There were dozens of gods in the surrounding cultures that they could choose to believe in and to follow and to pledge their lives to. The struggle for Israelite children was gonna be able to recognize who the real God was and what he had done for them and their people. And that's why we're going to talk about a little translation lesson this morning. You you didn't sign up for this. This is free. Don't worry about it. So Bible translation lesson. If you were to read through the Old Testament, in the Shema in particular, you would notice the phrase, the Lord, shows up quite a bit. It's, you know, all capital letters, L-O-R-D, the Lord, like that. 99.9999% of the time that the Lord shows up in your Bible, it's a translation of the name Yahweh. Yahweh was, Colin's got it on his shirt this morning. He, uh, he made sure to point that out to me. <laughs> but Yahweh, Yahweh is not a term for a generic God. It's not a term for the concept of God or some vague force that just wants us to be good people. Yahweh is the specific name that God gave to Moses when he said, who should I tell the Israelites sent me? He says, tell them I am that I am, Yahweh in Hebrew. Yahweh is the name of the God who rescued the Israelites out of Egypt. It's the name he gave them to remind them, I have a covenant with you. I've chosen you in your mind because I saved you. Yahweh was the name of the God that they were to pledge their lives to and to follow solely and by alone. They weren't to follow any other God. This is a very specific God who's done a very specific thing in the lives of these people. 
And that's what Israelite children were to know. And our kids and our grandkids today and emerging generations are in a very similar situation where there's no shortage of exposure to this concept of God, this force that wants us to just be good people. But our kids don't need to know that. They will learn that without us ever lifting a finger. What they cannot learn on their own is specifically who this God is, that he's found in the man Jesus Christ. And they cannot know without our help exactly what this God has done, that we can't be those good people that we all feel like we wanna be but fall short of because of this junk in our life called sin. We find new and ever creative ways of, of betraying who we really wanna be, whether it be through greed or lust or selfishness or whatever. We find all these ways to be less than what we desire. We can't be those good people. And so this God did a very specific and influential thing. He sent Jesus into the world to die on a cross so that we could find life and live Live the kind of life that we feel we ought to be able to live, where we are good and kind and patient and trustworthy and honest and decent, and we are reformed to be these people because of him. Very specific thing called the gospel. So if we're gonna teach our kids anything and pass on any kind of faith, don't let it be a generic faith of a, a vague spirituality about a lowercase g God. We need to teach our kids that there is a very specific God found in a specific person, Jesus Christ, who did a very specific thing to rescue us. It's called the gospel. Now we're gonna do something a little different. This is the interactive part of the sermon in case you fell asleep. I'm gonna say something. I'm gonna ask for you to respond to me in a way. I'm gonna say all the families of God said... And then I wanna ask that you respond, I can do that. You ready, let's try that. All the families of God said, I can do that. Excellent, you guys are great. We don't even need to practice it again. We're gonna go straight to the real event. Here's our first official use of our response. We will not teach our children or grandchildren about a generic, vague God. We will teach them about the true God found in the person Jesus Christ and found in his gospel. And all the families of God said, yes, you can. You absolutely can do that. Because you and your family are God's plan for passing on faith to the next generation. So that's one thing Deuteronomy teaches us to impart upon our children and our grandchildren. Here's the second thing. Teach your kids who God is and what he's done. And then teach them what he has done for you specifically. Pass on what God has done in your life specifically. We're gonna read another passage out of Deuteronomy. This one's a little long, but it's really, really important. This is Deuteronomy chapter 11. We're gonna start in verse one. By the way, side note, if you were to read chapter 11 and compare it to chapter six, there are so many phrases, word for word, repeated between the two. Not an accident. God just thought it was worth saying twice. Here's another interesting fact. Almost all of them are about family faith because this matters that much. So here's Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse one. Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. Remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God. His majesty, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, the signs he performed, the things he did in the hearts of, heart of Egypt, both to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and his whole country, what he did to the Egyptian army and to its horses and chariots, how he overwhelmed them with the waters of the Red Sea as they were pursuing you, and how the Lord brought lasting ruin on them. Your kids didn't see any of that. Remember, Israel, it was not your children who saw what he did for you in the wilderness until you arrived at this place, and what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and the Reubenite. 
When the earth opened its mouth right in the middle of all Israel and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, every living thing that belonged to them, your kids didn't see any of that. But it was your own eyes that saw all these great things that the Lord has done. He's saying to the Israelites, you have witnessed and experienced so much of God's work in your life firsthand. Your kids have not. It's your job to pass on that personal experience, that emotional connection to your children because that's how people learn. We're not robots. We don't just respond to facts and to commands. Good example of that is, is the clothing that you're all wearing this morning. Just real quick, take a look around. Take a note of how much style is not present in this. I'm kidding, that's me. Take a note of all the, the patterns and the colors and the cuts and the different kinds of clothing and shoes people are wearing. Just take a look real quick you'll notice that there's a vast variety, right? Now, clothes are very functional pieces of, of well, I wanna say clothing, but that's kind of redundant. They're very functional things. They just protect us from the, the elements and they cover us. That's their basic job. And frankly, a gray jumpsuit can get that done. We should all just wear gray jumpsuits. That would just alleviate a lot of problems in society, I think, if we all just wore the same thing. But that's not very fun, is it? We don't have a, a fun expression. We don't have a fun experience with those. We don't have an emotional reaction to gray jumpsuits, except for bleh. Now, if you look at what you're wearing, you might have a certain color, you might have a certain pattern, a certain cut, a certain fit, a certain style. Why did you choose those things? It's because they make you feel good. They're fun. They make you happy. They bring back a memory, it's comfortable. There's some sort of emotional or experiential reason why you chose the clothing you're wearing today because people aren't robots. We don't just do facts and logic, we also have emotions and experiences. And the Israelites, they weren't just to pass down a bunch of old stories and commands. They were to tell their children emotional firsthand experiences of how God had worked in their own life. And so should we. Because here's the reality. Our kids need a really good reason to believe the gospel. A, a reason, and this is gonna sound crazy too, a reason that is much more immediately significant than the Bible said so. As we get older, we come to appreciate the word of God and what it really is and its value in our lives, but when we're young, we wanna go have sex with our boyfriend or girlfriend. Or we wanna go to college and have a typical college experience where we, we party all night and sleep it off on Sunday morning. Or, or we're, we're little kids, we wanna watch cartoons, we don't wanna go to church. There are so many things that our kids, our grandkids naturally desire that our society says is natural for youth to participate in. And if they're gonna say no to those desires of youth and really own this faith, they're gonna need a really, really good reason that immediately speaks to them besides this old book of old stories says I shouldn't do this. They don't need to know just the God of long ago. They need to know the God of today. And they don't need to know just what God did 2,000 years ago. They need to know what God did 20 minutes ago. They need to know how God is still at work in this world. They need to know he's still worth following, that he still cares, that he's still active in people's lives, and that faith still matters today. And they haven't lived long enough to see this for themselves, nor have most of them developed the eyes to see it and interpret it in their own lives, and so they need help. They need their families to talk about how God has been at work in their life. To share the stories of how God today is influencing them and shaping them, how Jesus still matters and how Christ has changed them today. Without those stories, I don't really know what gives kids the motivation to keep moving forward. That's why this is so important. 
So we are gonna tell our kids not just who God is and what he did long ago, we are going to tell our kids and grandkids how God is at work in our lives today. And all the families of God said, I can do that. Yes, you can. Because you and your family are still God's plan. We don't need to unravel the mysteries of the universe. We don't need a PhD in theology. We just have to share with our family who is God. He's Jesus. What has he done? The gospel. What has he done for me? And why is he still worth following? If we can do that, that's 90% of the work, guys. And the other 10%, that's where we come in. You see, as a church, we don't feel called to play the role of primary faith influencers. That's not God's plan. The family is God's plan for moving faith forward into the next generation. But the church is God's support system for family faith. Our job is to partner with you in three very significant ways to equip you, to empower you, and to encourage the snot out of you. That's a technical term, by the way, encourage the snot out of you. We want to be your partner. First thing, we want to equip you. We want to put the tools and the resources that you need in your hands. And one way that we've done that, a very significant way we've done that, is through a resource called Right Now Media. I promise this is not a commercial for Right Now Media, but it's a really great tool. It is not a free tool. We've spent a lot of money on this in order to put it in your hands for free because we think it's that important. There are thousands and thousands of resources here that can impact your faith and your family faith. And it really does start with your faith. We as spiritual leaders in our homes and our families, we cannot lead our kids and grandkids beyond a place that we ourselves have been. We really need a faith that is generations deep. Remember earlier when I said our faith is not our own? That's what I was really getting at, is this. We have to make sure that we are growing so that we can lead our children, our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews, so that we can lead our families deeper and further along this road. Tons of resources, studies, lectures, lessons, all kinds of stuff for free available on any device you can imagine through Right Now Media. There are also uh, programs for your kids, for little kids. There's cartoons, there's fun television shows. Um, What's in the Bible is one. It's actually fun for adults to watch too. It's kind of funny. Uh, There's all kinds of entertainment on there. There are Bible studies, age-appropriate lessons for younger kids. There are parent studies to help us come up with strategies and plans for being better faith leaders for kids of that age. All of that available through Right Now Media, these powerful tools. But maybe you've got bigger little people. You've got teenagers. You've got preteens. There are studies for them, age-specific studies on Right Now Media. There are parent series on there to help us address strategies and, and questions and concerns we might have and how to parent and lead our teenagers through this journey called faith. There are all kinds of things on here that are just itching to be used if we just log in and use them. And they're yours for free. We want to equip you to get the job done. Another thing we want to do is empower you to be that faith leader in your household. And that's where our children's ministry comes in. Every Sunday morning, Kathy and our our teachers, they lead your kids through a specific curriculum that was chosen because it does not primarily focus on morals and good behavior. That's mom and dad's role. Our curriculum focuses on the Bible. What does it say? What are the stories? What do the passages mean? What's the big overarching story of what God has done? That's what your kids learn on Sunday morning. And then we send them home to you, 
and we want to empower you to build on that. Every Sunday, if you check the FCC Kids Facebook group, Kathy lists several discussion questions that you can use with your kids to engage them in what they just learned. There are family activities that you can do to build on what your kids just learned. Midweek, there are memory verses, there are larger discussion questions, kind of weightier things to use with your kids. All of them build on that stuff. And we do that because we realize not everybody's a Bible teacher. And that's okay. Some people just really don't know how to teach. My wife is a great example of this. She is probably the best person I know, without exception. She loves the Lord. She has a rich faith. She's a great mom. She's better at passing on faith than she gives herself credit for. Cannot write a lesson to save her life. She just can't. We were in school. She had her last class. She had one project. She had to write one last lesson and pass that assignment in order to graduate. That's all she had to do. And the teacher had to work with her and work with her. And he even, you know, this is going online, so I won't mention his name, maybe bent a few rules just to make sure she could pass that one project and graduate. It's just not her thing. She owns that, and that's okay. Because they teach a lot of that stuff. If you can't teach, that's fine. But you can capitalize on that. You can talk with your kids. You can play fun games and activities with your kids. And we want to empower you to build on the lesson that's uh, taught back here to make the most out of these opportunities. So we equip and we empower. Oh, and by the way, empowering, again, doesn't stop at the little ones. If you have teenagers, we still want to empower you to engage your kids in faith. It just gets a little trickier because teenagers have different attitudes, different priorities, different questions. Oftentimes, hard questions, and we should embrace that, and we should welcome that, and you should never feel like you have to have all of the answers. There's absolutely nothing wrong with saying, I don't know. Let's ask Jordan. Now, I'm not saying I, I don't know all the answers. I know a lot of answers, but probably the greatest service I can offer to you as a parent of a teenager, I know where to find the answers that I don't know. I spent a lot of time and money learning how to do that, Never, ever hesitate to ask a question, all right? I will spend entire days answering a question. That's not a great use of my time, but I do it anyway because I love it. I just love answering questions. That's what I can do for you, so utilize that service. Ask Colin. Ask him your questions. Ask Col uh, Kathy. Ask her your questions. Ask our elders. Ask them to help you out with this question because we want to be there to empower you to be that leader, and that brings us to that last part of our partnership. We want to encourage the snot out of you. We really do, because this is not an easy job. This is hard. I'm learning that. I have two little ones. My oldest one's four. I have no idea the difficulties in, in store for me. Some of you are just chuckling. You're saying, oh, buddy, just wait. But it's not easy. We need some encouragement. And, and we have elders at this church. We have a prayer team at this church. We just have good people at this church that care about you and your family and want to encourage you. Let us pray for you. Let us put our, not now because of corona, but let us metaphorically put our arm around your shoulder and encourage you and say you're doing a good job. Let us just be there to, to ask how's it going. Let us pray for your marriage because that, that has a huge impact on your family and on your household. We want to encourage you because we care. A lot of us have either been there or are there right now. We know it's not easy. We know you need a shot in the arm once in a while, and that's what we want to be for you. That partner that just pats you on the back and says, you're doing great. Keep your chin up. We're going to get through this together. Because sometimes that's what we need. We want to be your partner. 
Family faith. We want to partner with parents to equip the next generation with a faith that lasts. This could be one of our most significant ministries. It is definitely one of our most ancient ministries. It's been happening for 32 plus, well, no, 3,500 years at this point almost. And so in honor of that ancient ministry and ancient tradition, I want to borrow this ancient passage, the Shema, put a little twist on it. And just as Moses spoke to the Israelites and charged them, I want to charge us as a church with faithfulness. So would you stand with me as we read this together and as we are called to action as a church? Hear, O church, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love Christ the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The gospel that he has saved you by is to be upon your hearts. Using all the resources made available to you, impress it upon your children. Talk about it when you sit at home. Share how it has changed you as you walk along the road. Teach it through the simple things when you lie down and when you get up. May his love be symbolized in your hands as you greet children by name on Sunday morning. And may their faces be on your mind as you bow your foreheads in prayer for families. May the door frames of your homes and the gates of this church always work as partners for the purpose of family faith. And all the families of God said, I can do that. Yes, you can. Because you and your family and this church together as partners are God's plan for imparting a faith to the next generation that lasts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of faith, for this gift of Jesus that brings life and hope and forgiveness and mercy and joy a thousandfold into our lives. We pray that that gospel be impressed upon our hearts, that it would come to mean everything to us, And as we come to cherish it, I pray that we would place priority on passing it along to those we love, to our kids, to our grandkids, to our nieces, our nephews, to the annoying little neighbor kids that live next door. God, we just pray that you would use us as people that pass faith on to the next generation, that they would know who you are in Jesus, that they would know the love you have shown in the gospel, and that they would see the power of your Holy Spirit work in our lives today, changing us to look more and more like your son. Use us for this purpose that you may be glorified and that people might experience this life-changing love in Christ. In his name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated.